welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast interviewing documentary filmmakers. I'm Tom Powers, the documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival and artistic director of Doc NYC. Our podcast went on hiatus for a few months, but now we are back with our fourth annual preview of the Sundance Film Festival. Last year before Sundance, we gave listeners a preview of films like American Factory and Knock Down the House. Those two titles went into Sundance as independent productions and came out acquired by Netflix. So what will be this year's sensations? I've screened a large portion of the 2020 lineup. I'll discuss six of my personal favorites that are all seeking distribution. Three years ago on episode 33, I talked about the Sundance Marketplace with sales agent Josh Braun. His track record at Sundance includes brokering deals for films such as Man on Wire, Searching for Sugar Man, and 20 Feet from Stardom. Braun described how he tailors a strategy for each film. Our advice on certain films has been don't say a word. (laughs) Literally don't talk about it. That really was the most successful with Man on Wire, Hmm. which was a film where we just decided, like, rather than trying to hype it, we wouldn't actually, because it's, you know, the description speaks for itself. It sounds like it could be very esoteric and could be very small. If you just say, oh, it's about this crazy guy who tried to walk between the, you know, two World Trade Center towers. But our strategy that we recommended was don't talk about it, literally don't talk about it. So people would ask me about it and I would say, I... I can't really talk about this film. I think you should see it. And it was, we hadn't really done that before, but it definitely worked because people were curious and they were even mad at us. They were like, what do you mean you're not going to talk about it? My job in this episode is to talk about films that I'd encourage buyers not to miss. I'll begin with three titles that should resonate strongly against the backdrop of the 2020 U.S. elections. The first is The Fight that follows activist lawyers from the ACLU working on four lawsuits against the Trump administration. The filmmakers are Josh Kriegman and Elise Steinberg, who previously made Wiener about politician Anthony Wiener. That was a story of political disgrace. The Fight is filled with more uplifting figures who are trying to preserve rights at risk of being lost under Trump. One of the ACLU attorneys is Bridget Amiri, who works on reproductive rights. It really feels like a canary in the coal mine moment. If we lose this case, I don't know what Roe versus Wade means. Amiri represents a 17-year-old female migrant who discovered she was pregnant while in U.S. detention. Now she wants to get an abortion. Her determination was blocked by the Office of Refugee Resettlement. The ACLU received an anonymous tip. Amiri explains. I called the Department of Justice when I found out this was happening, and I said, you can't be serious. You cannot be physically obstructing someone from accessing their constitutional right to an abortion. And they said, so sorry, that's our client's position. And I said, well, then you will not be surprised when I challenge it in court. The case, like others in the film, is a race against time. Filmmakers Kriegman and Steinberg deftly weave complex legal actions into suspenseful narratives. The fight reminds us how much is at stake in 2020. My second film with election themes is Boy State. 
It's an observational look at a program run by the American Legion that teaches teenagers about democracy. For one week, a group of high school students gather to conduct a mock election, learning the techniques of campaigning and speech making. There are separate American Legion programs for boys and girls held in different states across the country. The program's alumni includes President Bill Clinton and Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. The film focuses on a batch of future leaders going through a boy state election in Texas. My grandmother told me a few things. You have to have faith, hope, and a bit of a pissed off attitude. <laughs> Renee Otero stands out as an African American in a group that's largely white. He's one of four main characters who represent a spectrum of political opinion. We're going to take the example of a plain body. It has two wings, a left one and a right one. We're not going to pick one. We're going to stay in the middle because we are not an intolerable party. We're one that is palatable to all. And so as long as we're able to keep this plane afloat with a healthy right wing and a healthy left wing, we have the ability and the capability to pummel any Federalist into the ground because we are the only party that's worth voting for because it's this party that's going to represent every individual. The filmmakers Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain were last at Sundance six years ago with The Overnighters. That film won a special jury prize for its complex portrait of a pastor in North Dakota who gives overnight shelter to homeless men working in the oil fields. The filmmakers are known for their elegant cinematography and narrative nuance. Those talents are exemplified in Boys State. In the mock elections, we witness the Texas teenagers confront the tension between their idealistic convictions versus the cynical pursuit of votes. Otero is originally from Blue State, Illinois, now trying to express his liberal politics in a red state. It's experience that shapes opinion. So I thought it was really important for me to learn the conservative sides of things because it forces you to think. At first I was like, this is a conservative indoctrination camp. And I was like, uh, no, this is literally what every liberal needs. You'll surely hear more from this impressive young man when Boy State finds distribution. The film was produced by Concordia Studio, the relatively new venture funded by Lorraine Powell Jobs and overseen by Davis Guggenheim. Boy State sets a promising example for Concordia's future. The third film pertinent to U.S. politics is The Dissident. The director is Brian Fogel, who previously made Icarus about the Russian whistleblower who exposed Olympic doping. Icarus won the Academy Award, and many people wondered if Fogel could ever find material as compelling as in that film. He delivers on those high expectations in The Dissident that investigates the 2018 murder of Jamal Khashoggi. The Washington Post journalist was a Saudi Arabian citizen who visited his country's embassy in Istanbul and never came out. Eventually, Turkish authorities released surveillance audio that recorded Saudi Arabian agents killing Khashoggi inside the embassy. Most experts believe that his killers were acting under the direction of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, known as MBS. One person who withheld judgment of MBS was Donald Trump, who was focused on a big sale of military weapons to Saudi Arabia. Trump gave this interview to Fox News' Chris Wallace. Question. Did MBS lie to you, sir? 
I don't, I don't know. You know, who can really know? But I can say this. He's got many people now that say he had no knowledge. What if the crown prince, speaking to you, the president of the United States, directly yeah. lied to you about well, that? He told me that he had nothing to do with it. He told me that, I would say, maybe five times at different points. But what if he's lying? As recently as a few days ago. Do you just live with it because you need him? Well, will anybody really know? All right. Will anybody really know? Watching The Dissident makes it harder to say, will anybody really know? The film skillfully pieces together the known facts, along with fresh insights. At the center of the film is a Saudi Arabian dissident, Omar Abdulaziz, who had ties to Khashoggi and now lives in exile in Canada. The film has revelations with wider implications beyond Saudi Arabia. The case demonstrates the increasing power of government surveillance and intimidation. The dissident at the heart of the film lives under the constant threat of being murdered. Being scared is something normal. We all get scared sometimes. But if we're going only to think about the bad things that might happen to us, we're not going to change anything. This film will surely attract strong interest among buyers. Now let's turn to three other Sundance films looking for distribution. Each of these projects has a memorable personality at its center. I'll start with Whirlybird. I'm Bob Turr, I'm a helicopter pilot and reporter, and I've covered stories for the past 20 years over Los Angeles and on the ground. And I was there with my wife, Marika, she was on camera, and I'm about to show you some of the most exciting news stories that we've covered aboard this helicopter. Whirlybird profiles Bob and Marika Turr. They were mavericks in helicopter reporting from the skies above Los Angeles. The Turrs were known for iconic coverage of the L.A. riots, the O.J. Simpson car chase, and countless eye-catching news stories. You didn't get to see the whole story, and we're going to show it to you this time. The story has many layers. It's about how television news is gathered and consumed, but it's also a complex family story. Bob Turr was the dominant figure on screen, and behind the camera was his wife, Marika. I guess what you'd say is that the history of Los Angeles is the history of my relationship with Bob. We covered a murder there, and we covered a fire there. We covered a celebrity getting a star there. And so my life really was told in other people's stories. Adding further complexity, Bob made a gender transition in middle age to become Zoe Turr, Filmmaker Matt Yoka is making his feature directing debut with Whirly Bird. I first learned of the project four years ago when I saw a sample submitted to the Garrett Scott Grant for first-time filmmakers. After receiving the Garrett Scott Grant, Yoka went on to get backing from a and &E Indie Films and World of Wonder, the company that produces RuPaul's Drag Race. Now Yoka has spent several years on the project, immersing himself in the Turs archive and uncovering revelations in their outtakes. The film will stir conversations on multiple topics, how power is exercised in relationships, and how television news shapes our perceptions. The second profile I'll highlight is a film that draws on more personal archives. The title is Time, directed by Garrett Bradley, who's based in New Orleans. She's had short films at Sundance in the past, 
and directed an episode of Queen Sugar. She's also exhibited video installations in museums. She directs time with a distinct aesthetic in black and white. The film profiles an extraordinary woman named Fox Rich, who's raising five boys as a single mother while her husband is in prison. At the beginning of every year, every New Year's Eve for the past 20 years, we have always started the new year knowing that this was going to be the year that my husband was coming home. And if you haven't done something in the courts by Thanksgiving, then you know that you're about to end the year and you're still going to be incarcerated. The hope that you've given yourself all year long or the truth be told, the lie you've given yourself all year long, you have to accept that maybe this just wasn't the year. But next year is the year. The archive footage and time are home videos that Rich captured over 20 years as their children grew up waiting for their father's parole. Bradley interweaves the archive with contemporary footage that she filmed. We watch new hopes arise for the father's release. The juxtaposition between archives and new footage allows for a profound meditation on the film's title. Time is when you look at pictures from when your babies were small and then you look at them and you see that they have mustaches and beards. And that the biggest hope that you had was that before they turned into men, they would have a chance to be with their father. Time probably has a lower budget than many documentaries at Sundance, but it's one of the most emotional of any I've seen in the lineup. The third sales title with a strong personality at the center is Giving Voice. It plays in the festival's documentary premiere section that showcases established filmmakers and high-profile subjects. Giving Voice looks at the legacy of playwright August Wilson, known for the Pittsburgh cycle of his 10 plays that chronicled black lives across the 20th century. Two of his plays, Fences and The Piano Lesson, won the Pulitzer Prize. Denzel Washington, who directed a film version of Fences, is among those interviewed. I asked him about his process, and he talked about how he would shut the doors and close the blinds and everything, and the characters would come into the room and tell him what to write. Wilson died of cancer at age 60 in 2005. Afterwards, his family started the August Wilson Monologue Competition. High school students all over the U.S. perform monologues from Wilson's plays in local competitions. The winners move on to a showcase on Broadway. Viola Davis, who stars in Fences, describes what students can learn from acting. Actors walk through life so different because we have to be observers. You know, I always say you are an observer and a thief, that you're constantly seeing the minutia of everything. The way someone puts their head down if you say a certain word and you think, oh, why did they do that? Is it something in their past? Were they traumatized? Do they not like me? But the real stars of this documentary aren't Viola Davis or Denzel Washington. They are the young people we follow as they seek to inhabit Wilson's monologues. The co-director of Giving Voice is James Stern, who makes documentaries alongside his career as an investor in Broadway and Hollywood. Stern previously co-directed Every Little Step, 
about the revival of a chorus line on Broadway and its casting process. That film showed his skill at covering multiple characters in a competition setting. Stern puts that talent to use again, co-directing with Fernando Valena. Giving Voice concentrates on six young people who describe how acting heightens their observation. I could walk into, like, let's say a Starbucks and just be amazed by the different people that are in there. Like, there's someone having an interview on this side. There's someone talking to their mother. Maybe there was, like, bad news. There's this barista who is, like, hating her job. I sit back and listen to conversations and how people, how people flow, you know, and I, it just, just makes me think. You observe the extremes of humanity. And it's funny because August Wilson did the exact same thing. He would go to coffee shops and just take notes and write, write down what people around him were saying. Even if you've never seen an August Wilson play, this film will open your eyes to his artistry. Before I wrap up, I want to briefly mention two titles in the Sundance World Competition. Last year, the breakout in that section was Honeyland, about a Macedonian beekeeper. It sounded obscure on paper, but it won several Sundance prizes and got acquired by Neon. Now it's Oscar-nominated in two categories, Best Documentary and Best International Feature. The film that shares qualities with Honeyland this year is The Truffle Hunters. It looks at older men in northern Italy who are specialists in finding the underground fungus that's sold as a high-priced delicacy. Another standout in the world competition is also about elders, titled The Mole Agent. Chilean director Mady Alberti previously won multiple festival prizes for her comic documentary Tea Time. This new work shares a similar whimsy. Alberti constructs the mole agent like a work of fiction about an octogenarian hired by a private detective to spy on a nursing home. That theme music means our time is up. I want to thank all the listeners who wrote to say they missed us during our hiatus. We will be back in the coming weeks with more episodes. If you're in New York City, I invite you to attend the Pure Nonfiction screening series at IFC Center. Every Tuesday night, we show a documentary followed by a conversation with the filmmakers. The winter season starts on February 11th with Barbara Koppel's new film, Desert One. For more information, go to ifccenter.com. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, and our executive producer is Raphael Anehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at THOMPowers. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. You can read our show notes learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net.